This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, New Life. Good morning. <laughs> wow, that whole, like, having you talk back to me last week worked. You guys, you're getting crazy loud now. I love it. I love it. Uh, I want to talk to you briefly. I want to talk to all of us in just a few minutes, but, but briefly, if you are a Sonoma State student, I want to talk to you for just about 10 seconds. And here's what I want you to know. I was thinking about you this weekend as you guys head into finals this week, and I want you to know that I love you, that we as a church, we love you. Uh, I'm going to be praying for you every day this week as you go into finals because, hey, I've been there, especially if you haven't started studying yet, you need some prayer, okay? So praying for you, uh, and if you're going away for the summer— we're excited to have you back when you come back. And if you're graduating, man, we've just been so excited to share this journey with you. So on behalf of our church, I just want to tell you how much, how valuable you are to us and how much we care about you. And for those of you who are new and you're wondering why I'm pointing this direction, this tends to be the stronghold, although there are a few in various places. So I uh, just want you guys to know that. If you're new with us today, if you came at Easter and, hey, you decided to give us another chance, I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, we just love sharing life with you. And our goal today is to knock down any barrier that would keep you from really fully encountering God. That's what we want to do. We want to help you encounter God. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of our pastors here on staff, and I'm going to be guiding us through our journey together. Uh, And one of the things that we do each week, but especially uh, a few months out of the year, is right when we start off our time, we grab our programs and we grab these cards that say Start Here. These are our connection cards. They're super important because they help us connect with you. They'll help you connect to the things we're doing in the church and in the city and around the world. And ultimately, when you want to connect with God, and we're trusting that you will at some point on this journey, this helps us help you connect with God. So we ask you to fill this out each week with your name, and if you're new, with your email address. Uh, And then on the back— Uh, we give you things to do. You can write down prayer requests. Uh, You can get involved in ministry and start to to serve and to to give your skills and abilities to things beyond yourselves, which is a great thing. But this month is our life group promotion month, and I'll be telling you about that a little bit later. But basically, life groups are groups of anywhere from 8 to 15, 20 people who gather together for about 12 weeks, and they explore what it looks like to follow God in some key area of life. And so right in the middle where it's red, it says sign up for life group number. We'll be doing that a little bit later on today. There are life group brochures all around, so if I get boring at some point, at least you have some reading material, which is helpful for you. Um, and we're just going to be using that. So make sure you grab that. Make sure you fill it because it will go quickly at the end of our service. So get that done. The other thing are these teaching notes. Uh, these just give you the Bible verses that I'm using. It gives you some places to fill in the blank. Uh, we try to leave space so you can write down questions you have, things you disagree with, things you, you want to remember, anything like that. So grab these teaching notes. And while you're filling out your card and getting those teaching notes ready, I want you to think with me about a time in your life when you did something that at the time it seemed very normal, but you look back now— maybe five years later, 10 years later, 50 years later, you realize that while that was normal, that was not healthy. Okay, so something that seemed normal. So for me, my senior year of college, uh, I did not drink coffee at the time. I drank—that's not a good thing. That's, uh, you're missing out. Uh, I drank Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew was my caffeine of choice. Um, so this was—and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making this up because you can't make this stuff up— Every morning on my way to my 9 a.m. class, I would have a Mountain Dew, a pack of cinnamon brown sugar Pop-Tarts, not cooked because I didn't have time, okay, I'm a busy man, cinnamon brown sugar Pop-Tarts, and a menthol cigarette. That was my breakfast five days a week for the majority of my senior year. 
I, I told friends when they got, okay, yes, I, I smoked. Yeah, I smoked in college. Go ahead. Just, well, just let that sit for a second, okay? And, and don't judge me, okay? Because I read your prayer requests. Um, <laughs> I tell people, hey, it's better, than, it's better than brushing my teeth. A little menthol cigarette. Just get your breath smelling great in the morning. That was, that was normal for me for a year Every morning. Could you imagine what that does to your insides? They were just turning into goo, okay? I was like, I was, oh, it was, oh, it was horrible, horrible. But normal. Mountain Dew, cinnamon brown sugar Pop-Tarts, and a menthol cigarette. To the extent that on my birthday in February, my friends, all they got me was cases of Mountain Dew and cinnamon brown sugar Pop-Tarts. Uh, and the ones that hated me bought me cigarettes, okay? That was, but we, we all have those types of things. And I look back and I think that, that was my normal. And yet, that was incredibly unhealthy for me. But we've all got those. Maybe for you, it was a relationship that you had. And that relationship at the time seemed very normal. What, what do you mean we aren't supposed to fight every day? You know, what you, I, thought that, I thought that's how you got new dishes. You just threw them and broke them, and then you got to buy new. That's not, that, that's normal. That, that's not healthy. And you look back and you think, oh, oh my gosh, that was incredibly unhealthy. Or, or maybe it was maybe it was diet and exercise, and you just you, you didn't diet or exercise, and, and that was normal for you. And you look back and you think, yeah, but over twenty years that has become unhealthy for me. And it's not just individually. I, I think uh, culture has this effect that that when we look around us and our neighbors and our our community and our friends, they're all doing something one way. It looks normal, but until we zoom out and look at it objectively, we realize even though that's normal, it might not be healthy. Maybe, maybe your, your neighbors, none of them take care of their front lawn, and so that's just normal. So you just kind of stop taking care of your house, and that seems normal to you. And then you have family come up, and you're kind of embarrassed because you realize normal it doesn't make it right. Or, you know, I think probably the, the biggest thing, probably the biggest thing, where our, our culture, our society, our neighbors, our community, where they see something as normal, but in, in what we're going to talk about today is I don't think it's healthy, it has to do with money. I would say that, that the majority of people view money and use money and do the same things with money to the extent that it's incredibly normal. We look around and everyone is doing money the same way, and yet we're going we're gonna to discuss today and dive in today to the reality that just because it's normal doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy. And if you're just joining us, we're in round two, sermon two of a series we're calling Affluenza. And we're asking the question, what does it look like to have healthy finances, to be financially healthy? And we look around and everyone kind of does finances the same way, but we've been exploring last week that there are symptoms that tell us that there's actually a money sickness going on that's underneath a lot of uh, our lives and our understandings. And, and there are symptoms that would say that even though people deal with money the same way, it might not actually be the healthy way to deal with it. There's symptoms like stress around money. Stress is a symptom that there might be a money sickness happening. And just think through your own life as we're talking about these things. Things like, things like hopelessness around finances. That could be a symptom that, that maybe there's a money sickness that's creeping in. Even though I'm doing money the same way as everyone else, that maybe that's not the healthiest way to, to deal with finances. Things like fighting in a marriage around money. That's a symptom that that affluenza, that money sickness, is starting to kick in. Things like debt. Debt's incredibly normal. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, but debt can be the cause of, of so many of these other symptoms, worry, anxiety, fear. And the question we have to ask is, even though that's normal, is it really healthy? Is it really healthy? 
And last week, we, we tried to, to get to the, the heart of what the spiritual germ is that causes money sickness, that causes affluenza. And we boiled it down to basically this. Everybody in the world puts their trust somewhere. Puts their trust somewhere. And most people put their trust either in money or in God. Because here's the thing about it, and I didn't get into this last week, but I want you to just to toy with this idea. Money and God both offer the exact same thing. Money says, if you've got enough of me, I will offer you security. I will offer you hope. I will offer you fulfillment. I will offer you purpose. Uh, I will offer you comfort when you're sad. Uh, We call that retail therapy. God says, if you put your trust in me, I will offer you hope, and I will offer you comfort, and I will offer you purpose, and I will offer you security. And when you're sad and when you're discouraged, I will, I will be there for you. See, they both offer the same thing. So we have to ask ourselves, where am I going to put my hope? Because here's the part about money that trips us up oftentimes. Money promises us these things, but money lies to us. Money says, if you can just get enough of me, then you will feel all the things we just talked about. But it's kind of like the leprechaun chasing the rainbow. Once he thinks he's gotten to the rainbow, the rainbow moves just a little further away. And so we're always chasing. That's why when you got your first job and you made $30,000 and all of a sudden you were a thousandaire, you thought, wow, this is incredible. And then, and then you went a few years in and you thought, if I could just make like 10000 more, then I'd be set. So then you, you made 10000 more or 15000 or 20000 but But even when you got there, you thought, if I could just make a little bit more, then money will give me the things that money promises, security and comfort and purpose and fulfillment. See, money can never fully and finally satisfy us. It promises us that it will, but it lies to us. And, that's, and, and, and we look around, and so many of our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, and maybe, maybe if we're really honest, maybe we do this too. We let our hope drift to money because it promises us all the things that we crave internally that God offers to us. So God says this to us. He says, why place your, your trust in money, which can never fully and finally satisfy you? Instead, place your trust in me, and I will provide for you. And like Justin talked about, I had you, um, I asked you to memorize this thing. We even said it out loud, which scarred it into your psyche for some of you. I had you memorize this. I will not place my trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because we have to decide up front that this issue is not actually a money issue. This whole series is talking about money, but it's not really a money series. It's a trust series. Because if we can't figure out where our trust goes— then everything we talk about, everything God says about money, all of his principles for wisdom and, and freedom, they won't really change us long term because where our trust goes, our contentment follows. And if we put our trust in money, we will always look to money to be content and money will never make us content and we'll always want more and we'll always need more and it will lead us to things like debt and anger and fear and worry and all the things that we, that we don't want. But if we can make that mental shift and put our trust in God, then when God talks to us about life in all areas, including finances, we can, we can trust him, follow his wisdom, and experience freedom. Because money is not a bad thing. Money is not a bad thing. There are two kind of schools of, of theology, of, of thought in the Bible that swing a pendulum. One is the prosperity gospel. We talked about this last week that says, if you love God and God loves you, you'll be a millionaire. The other is uh, poverty theology. If you love God and God loves you, you'll give all your money away and you'll be poor. There are examples of both types of people in the Bible, 
but neither one is laid out as this is the way to follow after God. It's a, it's a pendulum that God calls us to. What God wants for us is health in our finances, which includes things like generosity, which includes things like getting out of debt, which includes things like saving and investing and all these different types of things. And as we find this shift, here's what we're going to find. We'll find fulfillment in God, and we'll have fun with money. And that seems like a pretty good thing. Fulfillment in God, fun with money. Because money, money can be fun. Money can be fun. Uh, money can be used to, to enhance areas of our life. There's, there's no one that's going to say, you know what, that, that trip to Hawaii, that just, that was a downer in my life. That was tough. I just didn't, I didn't like it. I wish I could have been home paying, you know, paying the bills and, and going to work. That would have been better. For, no, no, money can be fun. Money can be fun. Money can also, uh, it can be a resource that God gives us to flow through us to do some pretty powerful things. God gives us money, as, as, uh, for those of us who are Jesus followers, um, to manage. And we're going to talk about that, to manage as a resource that he wants to flow into other areas to make an impact that goes generation after generation and, and oftentimes even echoes into eternity. Money can be a really good thing if you've got some. The problem is most Americans don't got none. 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That means they've got too much month left at the end of their money. That means one leaky roof, one transmission going out, uh, one broken arm, one trip to the ER, and, and they find themselves staring at a horrible fear of, of money and money issues right in the eye and going into debt and feeling hopeless and feeling like there's no way out. But because God loves us, and I, I want you to know that if you hear nothing else today, if you hear nothing else today, God loves you. Anything he says about anything, including money— is because at his core, he loves you, and he wants to know you. And because God loves us, he gives us practical insight about how to deal with money. So what we're going to do today is we're going to zoom way out. We're going to look at five basic principles about money from the whole Bible, from the beginning to the end, five basic principles. And then uh, we'll have a, an incredible Mother's Day week next week. Pastor Ron's got a sermon ready. It's just going to be amazing. And then for three weeks after that, we're going to dive into the specifics of these principles. How do we live them out? Why do we live them out? What does God want for us? What does God want from us? What does it look like to be financially healthy? But I want to zoom way out because the things I'm going to say today, uh, they're not rocket science. They're not hard to understand. I'm not a, I'm not a math guy, so I'm not going to do like crazy equations, okay? I'm an English and history guy. I promise this will be simple. It will be simple. The problem is it's not going to be normal. So you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to sit in church with all these other people, and you're all going to nod, and we're going to laugh. We're going to be like, ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Then we're going to walk out, and everyone's going to be doing money differently. So we have to decide, is normal what I want, or is healthy what I want? Because we've all done things that have been normal and seem normal in the time, but we look back 10 years later, and even though they were normal, they weren't healthy. So I just want to give you a warning. God's economy, and that's what we're talking about today, it's not normal. It is not normal, but it is healthy. And if we can get this right, it will impact almost every area of our lives. The sermon series is not a marriage series, but if we can get our finances in a healthy place, it will positively impact our marriage. This series is not about um, finding your purpose in life. But if we can get our, our finances in a healthy place, it frees us up to find our purpose in life. I love Sonoma County, and I love our church specifically because you have a heart for generosity. You want to serve and care for people, especially people who are underprivileged. And this is not a sermon series about caring for people who are underprivileged. But if we can get our finances healthy, 
It frees us up to be generous and to care for people who are struggling through life right now. See, even though this is not all of those things, this central thing is at the core of so many other areas of freedom in our lives. So many other areas. And again, it's going to be easy to understand. Dave Ramsey, who's a a Christian kind of financial expert, and we actually pulled a ton of what we're talking about for this entire series. We pulled it straight from him. He gave us the freedom to do it. A lot of this stuff comes straight from Dave Ramsey. Uh, By the way, he leads uh, something called Financial Peace University. It's a life group that we offer. We're offering it on Sunday nights. It's so good. If you've never taken it and this stuff is just clicking with you, take Financial Peace University. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. But he says this, He says, succeeding at personal finances is 20% knowledge. That's what we're going to get here, 20% knowledge, because I'm not not that smart, okay? 20% knowledge, 80% behavior. It's 80% what we do when we go out into the world every single day. So here's what we want to talk about, five basics of biblical finance. And the first one is this. The Bible clearly teaches from cover to cover, don't be in debt. Do not be in debt. Get out of debt. I'd start with the hard one because I just like it when you guys go silent. It's just fun. Debt is incredibly normal. Most of our friends, most of our neighbors, most of our relatives, and many of us in this room, no one has to raise their hand, many of us, we live in debt right now. It's normal. That doesn't make it right. Listen, in the 70s, polyester bell bottoms were normal. It didn't make them right, Okay. (laughs) We just need to understand there's a difference. There's a difference between normal and healthy, between normal and right. In the 90s, okay, I'll, I'll cap on myself. Um, uh, parachute pants in the 90s, not, they were normal. I had a pair. I, you know, I did some of this. Doesn't, that was really bad. Doesn't make it right. Parachute pants, Velcro across here, bad. Normal, just not right. Debt is normal. It's normal. Almost everybody you know is in debt doesn't make it right. The Bible says that debt is like slavery. Proverbs uh, is a collection of wisdom from one of the wisest people who ever lived. Proverbs uh, 22 verse 7 says this, the rich, they rule over the poor, and the borrower, a person who is in debt, is a slave to the lender. Is a slave to the lender. And Jesus says over and over again, I came so that you might be free. Free in every area of your life, every area of your life. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he broke the power of sin so that we would not be slaves to sin, so we could be free from sin in all areas of our life, including finances. And debt is like slavery. Friends, that's why you don't want to go to your, that's why you don't want to go to your mailbox when your credit card bill is coming in, right? No one wants to go see their, their slave owner at the end of a workday. That's why they call it MasterCard. They don't even hide it, okay? <laughs> Think about it. They just think about it. They're not even trying to hide. But you don't want to go because you, you know, you know this. But you feel like you're in slavery when you're in debt. And you hate, you hate your slave owner. And God wants you to be free. And again, we're zooming out. We're in a few weeks. I already wrote a sermon all about debt. The week after Mother's Day, we're going to talk about how to deal with debt, why to deal with debt, how to get out of debt. I, I have used the method we're going to talk about in just a few weeks and gotten out of thousands of dollars of debt, but I have friends who have used it and gotten out of tens of thousands of dollars in debt in a short amount of time. You can get out of debt. You can be debt-free, even though it's not normal. You can be healthy. You can be healthy. Just imagine your life without monthly payments. Just imagine it. 
what would that look like? Just try to think about the freedom you would feel to not have to be paying every month with interest coming in. What would you do with that money? Who would you bless? Where would you go? Who would you serve? Think, think if your biggest fight with your spouse was, we just have so much money left over. What should we do with all this money? It's like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do with it all. God wants us to get out of debt. He wants us to get out of debt. The other thing the Bible talks about when it comes to finances has a lot to do with contentment, which we talked all about last week, but I just want to cover it. From cover to cover, God says this about finances. He says, I want you to act your wage. Act your wage. We live in a culture that is immediate gratification. We want it now. And I'll talk to people who are my age. So let's say 40 and a little younger. We want everything our parents have, everything that took our parents a lifetime to achieve, but we want it now. We want it. We see it. We want it. And credit helps us to get it. We want the nice house. We want the car. We want the boat. We want the vacation. We're trying to keep up with people that we don't like just because they're there, right? So we buy things to impress the people we don't like, stuff we don't need, stuff we don't want, stuff we don't use. And then what do we do? We, uh, this is great. We, we, we buy like storage units to hold it all. So then we're paying for the thing to hold the stuff that we don't really want to use. Why? Because we don't know how to be content. The Bible says act Act your wage. Proverbs puts it this way in chapter 21, verse 20. The author says, the wise. And isn't that who we want to be? We want to be wise. We're not talking, we're not talking about, um, about things that are necessarily, God is saying, if you do this, I'm going to kill you or whatever. We're talking about wisdom, wisdom when it comes to finances. We want to be wise. We want to get to heaven one day and have God say, hey, you are wise. As opposed to what he says next, you were a fool. So he says this, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. They always want more. It's like, uh, I love, my son is incredible. He's three years old, Landon Finkbeiner. Just, he is like a, 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 a specimen of all things awesome. Like, I love my son. Um, Landon, though, one of, the, one of the funny things about him is he is the fastest eater I've ever seen. He could grow up to be that hot dog eating champion. That's how fast my son eats. And here's what he always says to me. He eats all his food, and then he says, Dad, I'm so hungry. Dad, is it snack time yet? Dad, I want some more. Always. His, his favorite line after finishing breakfast, like he finishes his bite, he swallows. He goes, Dad, is it snack time? I'm like, no, buddy. He walks into kids' life sometimes, and he says to him, I'm so hungry. And he gets this look on his face like, Mom and Dad haven't fed me for weeks. I'm so hungry. Pulled his stomach, you know. I'm so hungry. Because he's just gulping it down. And when it comes to finances, so many of us, we aren't content to, to live on what we've got right now. We just want more. So we don't store, we don't save, we don't invest, we aren't wise. And what happens is it leads to, it leads to ruin. And when it comes to finances, long-term vision, long-term goal, long-term investing, that is where freedom is found. It's incredibly freeing. And if I could say anything to my generation and below, look at what your parents have. See it, enjoy it, embrace it. Try to, try to mooch off them to, you know, get some of it. That's fine. But it took them 50 years to get where they are. You've been working for like three. Okay? You're not there yet. Be content. Act your wage. Paul, uh, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he's talking to a young pastor named Timothy. 
And he says this, this thing that just rings in my mind all the time. In 1 Timothy 6, he says, Godliness, knowing God, following God, loving God, coupled with contentment, is great gain. So I just want to ask you, and maybe you just take this home and think about it. Are you content to act your wage right now? Whatever your wage is. And I'm not saying you don't want more. You aren't working to advance. I'm just saying, are you content right now to act your wage? Man, it will be freeing if you are. And I get that that's, that's, not, that's not normal. I get that that might mean saying to the family, hey, we're not going to do that vacation this year. Disneyland's going to have to wait, or that trip's going to have to wait, and having to talk to your kids when they say, yeah, but all my friends are going on a big trip this summer, and you have to say, I know, but, but we aren't there right now. We aren't there right now. It's just not financially doable for us. If you follow the things we're talking about, you might say something like this, and this is what I say to my kids sometimes. It's just not in the budget. It's just not in the budget right now, which is the next thing that God wants for us. He wants us to get on a budget. Get out of debt. Act our wage. Get on a budget. Have you ever, uh, for those of us who weren't on a budget, and I was not on a budget until about four years ago, three or four years ago, um, have you ever done this? God, please bless my finances. God, please increase my finances. God, please help us get out of this debt, but you're not on a budget. Here's what I would say. That's kind of like going to McDonald's, saying, you know, ordering two Big Macs and I think of fries uh, and a large Coke and a milkshake and, and sitting down at the table as the the oil of the fries glistens in the sun, and saying, God, please bless this meal to my body. Okay? God might bless your body despite the meal. God will not use that meal to bless your body. You might as well say, God, please bless the doctor's hand in 20 years. Is that too, too soon? That's kind of what it's like when we don't have a budget and we're asking God to bless our finances because our money walks away from us if we don't know where it's going. Jesus said this about life, and it has to do with finances as well. Jesus said in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. But whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. God is like a loving father, and he will not give us more than we can handle. And a budget is a way to show God and to show ourselves and to understand I'm being faithful with the little that God has given me now. And God, you can entrust me with more because I'm being faithful now. And the budget's simply a plan on paper to tell your money where to go. We're going to get into what that looks like as we go on, but it's a plan on paper to tell your money where to go. Here's what a budget is not. A budget is not a plan you write on paper uh, and then you don't look at for a year, okay? My family, we kind of slipped into that recently, and then we came back and we had this thing on paper with numbers next to it, and then we had all of our bills over here. I was like, well, those, that that doesn't line up. That's, That's not a budget. That's just a pipe dream. It's kind of like McDonald's, it, you know? A budget's a plan on paper that we look at every month that tells our money, this is where you're going to go this month, and this is where you're going to go, and this is where you're going to go. So when you get to time to plan a vacation, you can see, is there money in the budget for a vacation? And some of you I know are probably thinking what I thought before I got onto a budget, which was, which was simply this. Hey, I don't actually have debt, and I have more money left at the end of the month than I need. Why do I need a budget? Why do I need a budget? And that's a normal question. But can I challenge you that that's not a God-honoring, healthy question? Because God's goal for your life is not that you would just have a little bit more money left at the end of your month. God's goal for your life is that you and I would be able to manage the money he gives us in such a way that it flows his resources, not just into us, but through us, to impact those around us. And getting on a budget simply helps us to 
to manage our money better so that we can flow the money God has given to us, into us, into our family, but then through us to do some big things. If you've never made a budget, if the whole idea of a budget sounds daunting to you, remember, I'm not a math person, so I get it. I get it. On your Connect card, if you flip over to the back side, it says, I want to I create and start living on a budget. If you mark that, then our finance pastor, Justin, will get you an online um, uh, directions on how to create a budget. It's simple. It's easy. You can do it. You can do it. Everyone can do it. It's free. We'll get it over to you this week. Get on a budget. I don't care how young we are, how old we are. It's common sense and it's wisdom to be faithful with what God has given us. And one of the best ways to be faithful is to get on a budget. Remember, we're zooming out right now and we're going to strike in in the weeks to come. The fourth thing is to save and invest. And over and over again, God says that, that wisdom, wisdom is to save and invest because following Jesus is not a get-out-of-life-free card. It's just not. The question is not if something will happen that's going to cause you to, to move your finances, but when it's going to happen. When is the kid going to break their arm? When are they going to need braces? I just found out one of my kids is going to need braces. They're talking like, I don't know, like eight or $10,000. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I want to move to Europe, okay? Well, okay, you'll get that. You'll get that. The question is not if the car is going to break down. When is the car going to break down? When is the furnace going to go out? When is the roof going to leak? And if we're not prepared for the, for the winds of life, not if, when, when, then what happens is we have to charge whatever needs to be fixed and then we go right back into debt. So God says save and invest. Save and invest. Save and invest for your future because there will come a time when your parents are aging and you'll be called on to care for them. Save and invest for your future because there will be a time when you can no longer work and, and, and you need to have a plan for that. And save and invest so that we can be generous. And that's the last one. This is where the fun comes together. Uh, the overarching principle in the Bible is get out of debt, be financially healthy so that we can be generous people because that's where fun really happens. So that's where fun really happens. I love that our church is generous. I'm, I'm telling you, we have a heart, and I see it, I see it. We have a heart that wants to be generous. And those things we just talked about, those four things, they give us the actual practical ability to live out the desire of our heart, which is to, to love and serve and make an impact and care for people, to be generous. Generosity does so many good things in our lives. Generosity reminds us that I'm not the only person in the world. Generosity reminds us that God has given me resources to flow through me to bless other people. Generosity is so good. It gets us out of this consumer mindset that traps us in materialism and always wanting more. Generosity is so good. And, and listen, before you grab your wallet, I'm not, I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about being a person of generosity. Just being a person that when someone looks at you, they say, man, that person is so generous. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their energy. They're generous with their money. Having healthy finances frees us up to be generous in all kinds of different areas. Just this week, and this is so fun, this is why I love being your pastor. Just this week, I, I got an email from some friends in southern India where we partner. Uh, and if you're new to, to New Life, New Life Partners in southern India, 
uh, with a, a cooperation of about 30 different churches in an orphanage, in a school, and a Bible college to train pastors, and we love it. And I had the opportunity to go over to India uh, last October because a year before that, New Life had raised, you guys had raised $17,000 to build a church building in southern India, because there was a group of people who were meeting in a tiny little space. I mean, tiny. And they said, we built the church. Would you come over? Would you train and teach the pastors for about a week and a half? And would you come dedicate that church building? And I got to go do that. And I got an email this week saying, hey, we just had our first vacation Bible school, and there were 60 kids that came. And I'm telling you, this little church building, we have pictures of it up here. This little church building is in the middle of nowhere. Their, their goal is to plant churches where, where other people can't get. And, and Just look at that. That's what generosity does. And I love that that's us. That we have a heart to be financially healthy, not just for us, but for what God can do through us to impact people. I, I looked in those kids' eyes, and, and, and on behalf of you, I got hugs and kisses and thank yous from men and women and, and children because, because you had been generous. And I love that about you. And what we want to do with financial health is, is simply set ourselves up to be able to live out the things that are really inside of our heart. So that was one. We got this, this, this email from Southern India saying they had a great vacation Bible school. And then I got a call from the director of the Redwood Gospel Mission up in Santa Rosa. Uh, and, and it's an incredible ministry. And there are, are great missions all over the place. But we have a connection with Redwood Gospel Mission. Our life groups go and serve there from time to time. It's really fun. Well, they had just put an article in our nutshell, our program, uh, the week before Easter, saying, hey, we need Easter hams. If you guys would be willing to help us out with that. They'd sent it to all kinds of churches or whatever. All but five of the Easter hams that were donated to the Redwood Gospel Mission, all but five came from you. Think about that. We're talking three cities away and your heart to be generous just came flooding out. That's where the fun happens. That's where the fun happens. Is as we get financially healthy, we can be the people that God created us to be. And it's a gift. You start fighting with your spouse. How can we, who can we serve? Who can we love? How can we be more generous? Honey, honey, take, go, get, go in a better shop. Get some more clothes, you know? And she says to her husband, you know, uh, go away. You know, I don't know what you say. What you, I don't know. We just get to be generous. What a gift. And like I said, none of this stuff is hard to understand. That's why you're laughing. That's why we're nodding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get out of debt. Act your wage. Uh, get on a budget. Save. Be generous. That makes total sense. But here's the deal. You're going to walk out of here and people do not live that way. So we got to ask ourselves the question, do I want to be normal when it comes to money? Or do I want to be healthy? Because I can't be both. I can't be both. God loves us. He doesn't want to hide his plan from us. He wants us to live financially healthy. And if you do that, your friends and your family, they're going to question you. They're going to say, why are you doing this? Why are you living this way? It doesn't make sense. But over the years, when you get out of debt and you're, and you're living free and you're experiencing life, they're not going to ask you, why are you doing it? They're going to start asking you, how are you doing it? How are you doing that? How are you living that way? Why, why aren't you fighting like we are? Why aren't you stressed out like we are? And here's what you can tell them. You can tell them what I get to tell you right now. You can say to your friends and family when you're living this way, you can say, you know what? I, I'm doing this because I know a God who loves me and has a plan for my life. And I've chosen to invest my life in following after him. I've put my trust in him and I follow him. And you can say, and if you want to, 
you can follow him too. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to tell you, God doesn't want you to be financially healthy and have that be the end game. He wants you to be healthy in every area of your life, and it starts by putting your trust in him. And maybe you walked in here today and you have some sort of faith background. Your, your, your parents took you to church or your spouse invites you to come from time to time, but you don't have a personal relationship with God. I want to tell you that's the starting point. Putting your trust into him and following him and knowing him and loving him and all this other stuff just flows out of it. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he did it so that we could find freedom in our lives, so that we could have a relationship with him. And if you have not said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. Move your trust. Move your trust from yourself, from, from money, from your spouse, from your kids, from whatever it is, from your good deeds, and move it to Jesus. Because it's a fundamental shift that will change your life. The Bible says when we do that, God comes into our life and he forgives us of our sin, the things that we've done that have hurt us and hurt other people and, and separated us from God, and he changes us from the inside out. And if you've never said yes to him, now's your time. So I'm just going to pause right now, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to wrap our, our time up together. But I want to pause and pray. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do that. You can just repeat a simple prayer after me. It's a prayer of commitment. So let's, let's close our eyes together and let's, let's pray. And if you're here today and you do have a relationship with Jesus, would you simply pray right now that any of our friends who are here who don't yet know God, that God would be stirring in their lives right now. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to him, I want to tell you, God could not love you more than he does. He loves you with such an incredibly deep love that that he left heaven and came to earth and he gave his life for you on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins so you could be forgiven and be brought back into a relationship with your heavenly father. And all this financial stuff, it's, it's simply a loving father's way to say, I want you to be healthy. But it just points to the fact that he loves you, that he wants to be in a relationship with you. And if you're ready to say yes to him, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. Just whisper it where you're sitting or say it in your head. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And that your love caused you to leave heaven and come to earth and give your life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And today I say yes to you. Yes, I want to have a life that you're offering to me. Yes, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like? to walk every day from this day forward into eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you made the decision today, I could not be happier for you. I've been praying all week for those of us who will be making that decision and starting a relationship with God. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.